This is Kansen Shu, the podcast, episode 444 for the week of May 27th, 2018. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Kan Zenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Kan Zenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. My name is Mike. You may see me as Fujito EX. Joining me in just a minute here on the show, uh, Julian, once again, uh, digging into the backlog of podcast topics I recorded with him uh, over the last week or so. I'm working on uh, a, a pretty extensive episode that uh, I was wondering if I would get out in time this week, but uh, that doesn't look like is going to work. I'm going to save that for next week. Going to have a, a little bit of an in-depth, newsy, topicy kind of thing, and then to lift the mood up, we're going to have a little bit of a quiz show sort of thing afterward. That's what's on tap for next week on the podcast. But then, what do we have coming on this week on the podcast? Well, Julian is going to do something that uh, he and I have been wanting to do for a while, which is look at the 30th anniversary super history book for Dragon Ball. Pull out a couple things that seem interesting, and just kind of chat about what's in that book. It, it's so widely unknown. Even at this point, getting into a couple years after its release, it, it's a it's a giant goldmine of information that we have barely scratched the surface of. So what Julie and I are going to do is we're going to chat uh, two interviews from that book, looking at the Famicom and the Super Famicom era of Dragon Ball video games. I guarantee you, you are going to learn new things, tidbits, information that you have never heard before anywhere else. So that's what's on tap this week. Enjoy that, and I will catch you on the flip side to wrap things up. We are diving back into something uh, you and I have both been wanting to dive back into for a while. Uh, this came about because uh, I had a couple little tidbits I wanted for a specific page on an upcoming project. <coughs> Wiki. <coughs> That uh, several of us have been working on for quite some time. I wanted to have uh, the perfect page, and I needed quotes uh, about a little game called Super Butoden 2. Did a little research and saw, oh, there's some producer comments in the uh, 30th anniversary Super History book. And uh, we got chatting, and we started going through these, and you basically just started reading these interviews aloud. <laughs> and so I figured, right. hey, we got a topic ahead of us here. Yes, indeed. There are two, uh, because the Super Butoden talk is actually the second in line in a series of game interviews of about, I want to say, four or five. Uh, we go into the Dimps era, we go into the Spike era, and then we even get into the Hero stuff and newer games. Uh, lots of game producers in there. Uh, seems like there's some cool tidbits in here that we'll be pulling out in the future, right? That is correct. <laughs> I think, as we've only read two so far. Uh, so we're going to just chat about those first two. It's one of these things where, yeah, these translations, they are coming. We, we can't wait to translate them. Uh, but we have an opportunity when Julian's right here and we've been chatting about him. And, well, he, he can just read it and tell us some of the stories that they're sharing. And there's some awesome tidbits uh, out of these first couple. So what we're going to do is uh, chat about the first two of these. So in we're in the Famicom and Super Famicom era, uh, and that's our topic for the week. So, again, I say without further ado, Julian, who is the first person being interviewed here? Uh, again, there's tons of commemorative interviews in the Super History book, but we're specifically in the game section here. So, who's up first? So, the first uh, person on the list here is um, is Nobuyuki Tanaka, who was game designer for Bandai back during the Famicom era. Era, and he, I guess, designer. He's a, more of a producer. 
for the mm-hmm. games. And although it's an interview specifically with him, um, um, uh, Toshihiro Suzuki also chimes in at different points. Uh, he was also a, a series producer, and he's uh, well known uh, to people who read V Jump at the time as Dragon Suzuki. Um, so it's written with uh, specific Chinese characters. His his uh, personal name. That can also be read as Yosuke. And um, looking through various game credits on websites, I have a feeling he's been for a long time credited as Yosuke Tanaka. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Super History book actually gives the Furigana for his name as Nobuyuki. So that's what we're, well, we're going to call him Tanaka anyway. So, <laughs> but just so you're aware of that. So here, Tanaka, we're, we're all the way back at the beginning of uh, Dragon Ball Gaming. There was something produced for the Epoch cassette system, but we're starting with uh, the Famicom here. Dragon Ball Famicom games for a while. People just think back, oh, those are those card games, but they really get into how this all came about. So they were basically running up against the limitations of the Famicom as a system. And in terms of what he discusses, uh, Tanaka mentions that, um, well, he heard it from the director of development for a Daimao Fukatsu, which is a 1987 game that deals with uh, basically the Piccolo arc. That's the second Famicom game. So um, apparently they came up with this card-based approach in order to make a sort of game that had a world close to the original comic and animation. Uh, And the early um, Dragon Ball had, along with battles, a strong element of um, adventure, searching for the Dragon Balls. And they wanted to express both sides of that in the games. But they didn't have a lot of... space or capacity to work with using the Famicom. So it was difficult to, for example, show battles in animation. So what they thought was they would have um, cuts similar to the panels in the original comic, but that also took up a lot of space. (laughs) So they, unfortunately, they were unable to avoid having the adventure bits be on a map screen instead. And so that's how the card-based board game format came about. So uh, they do have all the elements of Toriyama's original world, and after all, they couldn't really reuse maps in other areas, so they actually struggled with that. They had to come up with different styles. Yeah, it's tough, and like you want to really express Toriyama's world, but with the the limits of the Famicom, it's like, all right, a map screen makes sense. RPGs are important to the system now, so you know we can show some elements that way. But if we're going to show action, uh, how do how do we do that at the same time? Uh, and they talk more about that as they get into the Z era, where it's less about the adventure portion for a little bit. Right. Um, so once they had Z... And we can say was, it, it's still Famicom era when Z comes yes, about. That was 1988-88 for the comic and then 89 for the TV series. But the Famicom was still big. Uh, and uh, the it would be Super, for years. Super still. Famicom was still a couple years off. But the battles had become a bigger and bigger part of the series. And they needed to figure out how to do that within the limitations of the Famicom, which at this point were becoming quite apparent. They left the cards in, but they tried to use different effects uh, where to express the effects of the cards' uh, actions themselves, they would sort of use a bit of animation to show it. Yeah, so there's like effects with the cards, effects on the other sprites as well, kind of jazz Mm -hmm. it up that way. Yeah, but by having them in motion, they required a lot of space, so they do things like uh, making the background of of the screen black yeah just sort of to try and get as much space as they could uh in terms of uh, memory and processing in order to show that it's actually something you'll see back in the original final fantasy uh when you go to a battle screen everything turns black you have your characters on one side and other characters on the other side get you a little bit bigger sprites a little more text on screen it's it's a common technique they were using at the time this is uh, i think one of the best parts of the story here something a lot of people have 
asked and wondered over the years. Uh, there's so many characters in the game, so so many techniques. How'd they come up with all the names for everything? And the story just keeps getting better and better as he tells the story. Yes. So um, what they did is for all these techniques that didn't have names in the original series, they actually had Toriyama come up with the names or they would send their own suggestions and then get feedback from him. Uh, All right, that that sounds normal, natural. It was a great development process. Sure. Yes. So um, at the time, Toriyama would finish his manuscript for a chapter around 2 a.m. on Wednesday morning. (laughs) Um, So when, when the manuscript was finished, they'd get a call from Toriyama's editor and they would all go to the Shueisha jump editorial department. So and middle, be, middle of the night, Wednesday middle of the morning. Night, okay. And they would be sitting around the fax machine and these faxes <laughs> would come through from him uh, with um, sketches and uh, names for these techniques. And then they would take that and then immediately turn around and fax it to the developers and also to Toei Animation to have them do color guides. It's like every week, middle of the night, Wednesday, I guess go to bed early because you know what's happening. <clears throat> and this, this is Toriyama's work schedule because, you know, he works down to the wire and then he submits his stuff and then he goes to bed. Right. So they're just waiting around two in the morning for this guy to finish up. That's great. I wonder if he ever realized that himself. That he was causing issues for so many people. Yeah. 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 And uh, by the time they got to the Frieza arc, they're really pushing things because they were catching up to not only the original story, but also the, the anime. Right. The the original comic wasn't that far ahead of where it was in animation at that point. Right. So, we, we talked about this in... Uh, Heath wrote a really good article about this in our anniversary magazine where we hit a point where they are so close. There's very little buffer left between the TV series and the manga. And yeah. that, that was hitting the games, too. You don't really think about that, but right. ooh, it did. So they, they these weekly faxes from Toriyama were sort of their lifeblood. Yeah. They were literally, like, turning around and putting it right into the games. <laughs> and it's, at that, it's at that point that um, the final game for the Famicom was the plan to eradicate the science, which is well known for its uh, original animation um sort of video guides yeah, it was yeah. also redone as the plan to eradicate the super science for what game was that well that was region blast 2 and then in between there we have uh the true plan to eradicate the science on Pladia as well oh, that's like, right which used the the animation yeah and they mind it over and over I, I just want to set the time frame here so uh we're actually into the super famicom era but the famicom is still so popular that there's games coming out over there so even though we get super butonen 1 on the super Famicom in March 93. Uh, later that year in August 93, that's when we get Plan to Eradicate the Science on Famicom. And actually, later that year, we get Super Butoden 2 as well, which right. we'll talk about in the next interview. Yep. So in, in that context, basically, the, the the games themselves had caught up to the manga at this point. So they were forced to look elsewhere. And so uh, they had uh, Takao Koyama, who was the series composer for Dragon mm. Ball Z, write an original story, uh, which ended up being a plan to eradicate the science. And then, well, since they were doing an original story, the talk of having it be an OVA, that's an original video animation, for those of you who didn't grow up with the single episode on a VHS coming out. $80. For $80, yeah. 20 minutes, yeah. Little by little, it became this big project, and the entire workplace at, at Bondi was on edge because of this big, big project that they were overseeing. Yeah, it wasn't just a game. It was we're getting uh, input and designs and stories from Toei and Shueisha here. And uh, this has turned into an animation project in addition to just a video game. Right. But but uh, Tanaka closes by saying, well, th- I mean, this wasn't just limited to games, but the uh, pace of development for Dragon Ball from plan to finished product was incredibly fast. 
and uh, it would involve a lot of different companies and people, and uh, it's probably due to the strength of the original work that all that ended up actually coming together. Yeah. It's interesting how everyone closes it all the time that way by saying, Dragon Ball is just so good, Toriyama is just so good of an author, even though this was so complicated for us. Yes. It all came together because it's just that solid. So, moving on to the Super Famicom era now, and uh, now we're talking to um, Toshihiro Suzuki, who was uh, the producer for the Super Butoden series on the Super Famicom. By now, when we think about Dragon Ball games, it's primarily fighting games, and uh, you see the reaction, especially when there's uh, like RPG elements mm-hmm. in uh, a recent Dragon Ball game. Like the fandom is like, what? I mean, that was a big thing in the original Dragon Ball. So actually, when you have the Super Butoden games coming out, it's something new. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the reason for that, according to uh, Toshihiro Suzuki, um, is that, well, at the time, Street Fighter 2 and other fighting games were very popular. And um, when they um, were tasked with creating a new game, well, um, they happened to like that genre. So uh, they happened to choose fighting games for Dragon Ball. Yeah, I mean, we're on a new system, new hardware platform, uh, new technology available to you. Uh, they said they, they couldn't get that action totally across on the Famicom. Well, now in the Super Famicom, you sure can. Right. And on the yeah, in the Super Famicom, uh, the limits are much less than that on the original Famicom. So they can really create stages that are true to the spirit of Dragon Ball while capturing the large scale and fast pace of the battles in the original series. But um, it was difficult for him to do something as as an individual, but they all got together and produced this concrete sort of plan. Uh, One of the crucial developments they had uh, from one programmer was the idea that if the characters got far away from each other Mm -hmm. they could have the screen go into split screen mode right and this was new and novel uh they tell a story about how they they weren't entirely sure how this was going to be received so they presented two versions it was such an a new novel idea yeah they they presented this this mock-up of of like the original version that they have for their game Mm -hmm. uh not just their design document to the company in order to have them get a picture of it to see what it would look like they had everybody coming all the way from Tokyo to Kyoto, which is um, trying to think of a, a decent measure of the distance in terms that people understand. I mean, it would be, oh, I'd say from like New York City to mm, Baltimore-ish. Okay. So, you know, that's a quite quite a distance to go if they're not convinced. Yeah, But yeah. luckily, it, it was approved. And so they got into it. And uh, actually, the first two Super Butoden games were released the same year. Yeah, uh, this is the crazy thing, is uh, the schedule for these games. And especially considering the first Super Butoden is kind of an awful game. <laughs> it's really, really bad. The improvements they were able to make in two are kind of astonishing to me. But as Suzuki talks about here, uh, they were really confident in... in happy with what they produced for the first game. They were unsure where they're going to go with this. How could they even do a second game? Right. Um, so they actually, uh, they took a week off between the games and they got back together and put together their like first draft illustrations and they uh, requested draft images from Toei Animation in order to get that ideas together for the second game. And they, they increased the number of stages, putting in water and forest, for example. And they also created uh, the uh, Butoden mode with adventure elements. I want to jump back to the thing. They were requesting things from Toei. Uh, if you look in the credits, there's a lot of names you'd be familiar with here. Tadayoshi Yamamoro, Naoto Shishida, Yukio Ebisawa. I mean, 
<laughs> These are the people that are providing some of the reference materials for the sprites ultimately in this game. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty impressive. But it just keeps the um, feel very close yeah, yeah. to the version that was on TV at the time. <clears throat> and um, they... Um, now, and having requested these things from Toy Animation, they also had some requests of their own, <laughs> and that's that they really promote like the movie villains. So yeah. they were able to include characters such as Broly and Bojack. Yeah. So the game developers ultimately felt this was a positive. One of the interesting things was that um, in terms of their interactions with Toriyama, um, they actually visited his house, and um, there was at one point Toriyama with the first Super Butoden was having trouble doing the Kamehameha, and it's it's down, then quarter circle to back, and then forward. But um, so uh, Suzuki actually made a video of himself doing it to show how to do it. <laughs> and it's not just as simple as like putting up a little thing on YouTube or whatever. So he had to. Yeah, this would have been in production at that time. Sure. But that's why it's easier in the second game, because the creator of Dragon Ball himself was yeah. having trouble with firing. <laughs> I mean, the special moves in the first game are they're not reliable to me. And I certainly know how to do fireball motions. And even I can't pull them off half the time. So <laughs> yeah. I, Feel bad for Toriyama. He's not wrong here. Now, in conjunction with the Super Butoden being released, Suzuki took on another role in that they they had a uh, Tenkaichi test play event. And for that, his boss at Bondi requested that he be the the master of ceremonies. And he was about 25 years old at the time, so he was still pretty young. And so what he did is he used this super hard American pomade with like gold colored flecks in it to make like a super cyan hairstyle. Um, the only thing is it wouldn't come out with shampoo. So he had to use dish detergent, which, <laughs> which really damaged his hair. And he, he went to his boss and complained uh, that if he kept this up, he would go bald. So um, since it couldn't be helped from a business perspective, they received special permission from the higher ups to allow him to dye his hair. Now, uh, those of you unfamiliar with Japanese corporate culture, there's a very big emphasis on people conforming to specific dress codes and appearance rules. And part of that is usually having natural color hair. And for even even now, there's a stereotype of people who have dyed hair being sort of uh, delinquent or mm. otherwise in, intentionally bucking the norm i mean that's a joke within dragon ball right. itself for sure that's less common among young people now but even then when they get older they're expected to go yeah, yeah. to that you know stop dyeing their hair and to put on a suit and go to work mm -hmm. um that was fine for his perspective um because he he had sort of been ended up becoming this mascot character in v jump promoting dragon ball stuff um, That's great because uh, Dragon uh, V Jump started in uh, 1993 as a monthly, but it was coming out before that. But he was in the pages of Jump as this character, as as Dragon Suzuki. Yeah, this is big in V Jump at the time. Yes, I very, mean, we're, we're talking oh, about 93 here, so yeah. and everything is just happening all at once. Right, and it's very much like Victory Uchida, the uh, the yeah, V Jump yeah. editor who puts on the big fake yellow hair and tries to be. Is is his road to becoming eventually the the bigwig at Shueisha? <laughs> I'm Shacho sure Enomichi. we have better hair technology now. He yes. probably doesn't have to dye it, but he's probably also not going bald. Yeah. Well, it's just funny. He's saying that. Well, people close to him knew what was going on, yeah, because they they knew what he was doing for promoting the games. But uh, other people in other parts of the company who didn't know would look at him sort of askance. And then, like, out on the street, like, these scary-looking people would glare at him. Yeah, like, this theoretically, he's 25 years old, he's supposed to be a nice corporate young man at this point, and, oh, right. he's got dyed hair, what's wrong with that guy? 
Yes. Or some some uh, ne'er-do-wells on the street going, oh, what gang's he from? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they kind of wrap things up talking about Extreme Butoden, which had recently come out at the time. Uh, and along with that, a uh, bonus download came with Super Butoden 2 itself that you can play on your 3DS. And I think it, it was good. It was an appropriate thing to uh, ask him about. Hey, what'd you think? You can uh, play your old game here on the, right. the latest platform yeah and he was also excited that the digital version of the strategy guide came with the original strategy strategy guide for uh, super butoden 2 because apparently he contributed things to that yeah he references specifically this uh super meteor poem which i'm not sure what it is and i'm not familiar enough with the game to know what's going on we keep flipping through we're not finding anything so, so um We'll figure it out. I'm sure someone else knows what he's talking about. So uh, if you do know, please let us know. <laughs> you know we're going to find it as soon as we stop recording. That's usually oh, sure. how it goes. But he was excited for that, just yeah. to reminisce on the old times. Yeah, the uh, the version of Super Butoden 2 that came with uh, Extreme Butoden, however, had a replacement soundtrack. Oh, because of Kenji Yamamoto. Yes, oh. as opposed to uh, in J-Legend Retsuden, which I think was maybe like two years earlier, a year or two earlier, that still had the original soundtrack in it. But uh, Super Butoden 2, even though they didn't translate it, they did release it international as a pre-order bonus. Uh, so we got the you know, Japanese version on our 3DSs over here. Uh, everyone got a replacement soundtrack. So I think <sighs> in anticipation of that going international uh, for everyone, they just replaced it. So if you want to play Super Butoden 2 on 3DS with its original Japanese score, either J-Legend Retroden or, you know, all the other means that people play. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. <laughs> on their systems. <laughs> so that's a quick little breeze just through two interviews in the Super History book. And you, you can see even these short ones. I mean, these aren't full page interviews. There's lots of screenshots and photos and everything. Not a lot of text, but there's really good stories and everything. Yes, uh, I've been meaning to delve into the Super History book. And it's just that because of everything else that's coming out, <laughs> it's just it's a pain just to keep up to date with everything else. When you have a big book like this that has a ton of interviews, I remember flipping through it at the time going, oh, crap. <laughs> just every page. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Oh, this will keep me busy for a while. Yep. And, and and it's been two years since it came out, and I, I still need to get started, but I will get there eventually. There's a lot of years left in my life, I hope. <laughs> Cheers to that. Hope you enjoyed that very quick look at the Dragon Ball 30th Anniversary Super History book. Uh, not just video game interviews continue in that book, but interviews, anything you can possibly imagine about Dragon Ball. There are wonderful tidbits and interviews in that book. We will continue to go through that book in the future, uh, both here on the podcast and with formal translations on the website. Uh, love hearing what the actual real world people have to say about the real world products they worked on. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. Thanks to Julian for kicking around with me for a while and working on that book. So www.kanzenshuu.com. That is kanzenshu.com. That is the central resource for everything that is in your ears right now. Uh, it's the website that has all the news and the guides and all that jazz. The podcast that you're listening to, uh, the forum, all the associated things, you can find it there on kanzenshu.com. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, next week on the show, uh, uh, kind of like a double whammy of diving into something you've most certainly heard about and have seen 
uh, tossed around probably at this point for a little over a week, but that's okay. We're taking our time, uh, and I'm chatting to people that I think uh, have something unique and different to say about the matter. I think that's really important to uh, sometimes get a little outside of our own insular circle. So look forward to that, and then uh, along with that episode, because that's a little bit of a heavy topic, perhaps you know what I'm alluding to at this point, uh, Julian is going to quiz Mary and I from the 590 quiz book that came out a few years ago. Some of an extra long double hitting episode for you coming next week so look forward to that uh, again i have been mike vegeto have a lovely day lovely week we'll see you next time bye bye